0: Because we are living In a chemical world And I'm a chemical Nondescript person We are living In a chemical world And I am A chemical girl We are living In a chemical world And I am A chemical girl Or boy We are living In a chemical world And I am A chemical No, nothing's gonna change. In this old bedroom I was drunk again And I fell in the street But that was exactly Where I wanted to be It doesn't matter How many pills you take It doesn't matter If you're asleep or awake You're still the same
1: Good afternoon, this is Chemical World. You're tuned into Katie and Kay, and that was Muggsy Fay. What was the name of that song? Sickness. Sure, that song is called Sick,
2: but that's kind oh, of sick. a working title. So, if anyone has a better title
1: for that song, I'd love to hear it.
0: Mm,
1: well, I that was that was really beautiful. Um, I really loved the line: "Was I born with these insecurities, or was that a?" A gift my daddy gave me. Yeah. Oh, man, I I loved that so much. And I could just uh, relate to that so much because I'm always wondering, like, where did, like, especially one of the things I'm really working on right now is not apologizing so much. Mm. And um, that I feel like comes from an insecure place. But, uh, yeah, I wonder that. And today... I already told you, is um, the 20-year anniversary of my dad passing, so that's definitely something that I'm always like, is that what affects me in everything that I do? But um, Totally.
2: Yeah, Yeah, so we're recording today's episode on August 31st, which is, of course, the Memorial anniversary for Kenna's dad and International Overdose Awareness Day and my great aunt's birthday and mm. she's 80-something. She's kicking butt for wow. sure. Oh, and she's happy birthday, super amazing. <laughs> happy birthday, Aunt Diana. And um, yeah, that song is, of course, super emotional. I thought that, you know, with everything going on today that you would appreciate that line. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, we all have daddy issues for sure. I was just watching something the other day and I think it was like ex-cons and somebody was asking about daddy issues and one of them was like, we all have daddy issues, all of us, whether you have a daddy <laughs> yeah. or not or if you have many. Even when you have a good dad. Exactly. There are still issues. I just like even though I haven't had like – a biological mom to have a relationship with uh, for a long time. I've learned that I think all mother-daughter relationships are inherently very toxic because <laughs> moms want to give us advice and and uh, daughters want to be coddled and not get criticized. So, but um, yeah, that I I felt like that song "Sick," which will be off of my third album whenever it comes out, was um, great for the theme of September's Chemical World episode, as September is both Recovery Month and Suicide Awareness. Month, And that song was actually w- one of a few songs where I actually started with an idea. This is usually not how my songwriting goes, but I was like, this is what I want this song to be about. I want this song to be a reflection of what it feels like to live with mental illness. And when I have performed this song live, so there's actually four full Verses, but it's a very, very long song in its entirety. And I've had people; um, they they've been able to win prizes, specifically High Rockies Harm Reduction merch, if they can guess what all four verses, or even if what one verse, um, what specific mental disorder. The which I really don't even like this language, just for the record, disorder, illness, all that stuff. But we're still stuck with the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for the time being. So, if folks can guess. What disorders the verses are about, and there is usually a, like an actual clue, like a, a verbal clue in each verse, then they can win a prize. And so the second verse that I performed today is depression. I mean, it, it I could be it. Like, so <laughs> depression. <laughs> it could be, you know, a lot of things. But then if the the full song the. um first verse is, is specifically about borderline personality disorder. The second verse is about depression. The third verse is about bipolarity. And the fourth verse is about schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder. But I mean, really, all of them could be very interchangeable or, or even disassociative identity disorder at the end there, too. Um, but I, I personally love this line and think it really goes in well with the with the theme of September. And it's not to me, it shouldn't be a considered a coincidence that recovery and suicide are talked about hand in hand because I have heard it said you know, that folks who are using um, – if they weren't using, they might be dead by suicide because a lot of folks out there are using drugs and alcohol to self-medicate mental illness. And I know – or at least I'm learning that I am one of those people. But so I love that line um, and I think that this was line was really kind of the root of the whole song Uh, In the second verse, I I don't want to die. I just wish I was dead. And for me, I feel like that really defines what it feels like for me to experience depression. And it's just like we say, nobody wants to be an addict. Nobody wants to take their own life. But it's just – it's very easy to get to a place where you can rationalize away all the good things in your life in this society that we've created for ourselves, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Well, and – just in general, denial is so strong in people's brains that you know. I mean, when you're in denial about whether or not you're an alcoholic or an addict or whatever, when you're in into it deep, you know, you can you can talk yourself into and out of anything. Totally. You know? I mean, you can always make it make sense. Um, I did just realize that I didn't let you introduce yourself. So, um, Maggie Saldine. Oh, yes. Founder and
2: director of Hierarchy's Harm <laughs> Reduction, also known as Muggsy Faye, musician, artist, lobbyist, activist, extraordinaire, working on how to, to bridge all my names and social media together someday. But you can find Muggsy Fay and Hierarchy's Harm Reduction on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. And oh. so keep an eye out because there will be more music coming out from me and I'm not sure which platform it'll be on. So you better follow them all.
1: Yeah, follow them all, and you can also follow Katie and K, of course, at um, on Facebook and Instagram. And um, I'm Kenna Crampton. I don't know if I said that. I I don't know if anybody's noticed that I am not the membership director here at Katie and K anymore, but I am still here in my volunteer capacity, which I love so much. I just I love Katie and Kay very much. Moving on, let's talk about the episode.
2: Well, and I would love to just, you know, talk a little bit more, even though I I feel like I've I've spoken about it many times. But just to remind our listeners that, you know, I feel my recovery really started when I was 23, which is five years before I really stopped drinking. Um, But because as I I have been on this journey of recovery I've started to realize that sobriety, substance use, all that is just one piece of the puzzle, that my recovery is from something much greater and I don't want to forget to add that we talk a lot on this show about substance abuse specific peer support, peer recovery support, but peer support is really the wave of the future in all facets of life and there are peer support specialists for all kinds of things, specifically at Springs, I know they have peer support specialists that have survived suicide attempts and peer support specialists for mental health issues. And so I just think that's really cool because I think we all A, it takes a village. We all need lots of people and lots of supports because everyone gives us something different. Mm -hmm. But we also need to be able to make that connection. And we might not be able to make the perfect connection with our doctor, our psychiatrist, even our AA people, Mm -hmm. if that's not our culture. But it doesn't mean we can't get value from those things. But we need other kinds of supports, too. And that really, I mean, statistically, is where peer support plays a huge role. Yeah. And just really, we need to think about... All of these issues, you know, that, that we need to recover as individuals, but we need to recover as a society. Our country uses 70 to 90 percent of the world's opioids. You know, it, when people wow. tell me that there's not a problem in their community, you know, generally you hear that from people in the U.S. And you're like, no, there is. And you just are in denial or unaware of that problem. But when I hear people internationally say that, like, it's true. Like, France doesn't have this problem. Belize doesn't have this problem. Canada, I mean, to an extent does, but, you know, not to the same extent. And we have really created, to quote a friend of mine, a a presentation we did the other day, you know, a society that is dependent on opioids. We have prescription painkillers. We have fentanyl. We have kratom. We have, you know – just so many substances to alter our perception, our state of reality. And we are such a drug-based culture here in the United States. And so, I don't know, it, there's a lot of recovery that needs to be done on kind of a macro scale. Otherwise, it's going to be make our micro-level recovery that much harder.
1: Yeah, those are that was a really good point. And I just, I really love the idea of peer support. Because, I mean, it's the same thing as when, you know, you're resistant to go to, like, a group like AA if you're an alcoholic. But when you actually get there, you realize, like, oh, these are my people. Like, we, as different as we all are and how different, like, our stories may be, like, we all can – we relate on a whole nother level because we have been doing things the same way for so long. And it's just that that connection – feels so good when you realize like oh wow I'm not the only person who feels this way and I w- I was talking to my sister earlier. Well, I went down to see my sister because I just needed to see her for a few minutes. She had to work today. Um but uh 20 years just felt like kind of a big deal for both yeah. of us so we just really wanted to like see each other and we didn't really talk about my dad at all because like I said she had to work and so we we're like let's uh keep it light but let's right. just see each other. Um but One thing that we – because we couldn't help but talk about it – that we mentioned was that all of our close friends have lost a parent. Mm -hmm. And I don't – it's weird because it's – with a lot of our friends, like, that didn't happen until later on. Like, I became friends with everybody before their parents died. But, like, as we've been friends for, you know, going on almost two decades, they have all lost a a parent. And – it just makes such a difference to have your like close tribe have, uh, you know, obviously in my story and your story, they're different. We don't know what each other actually have been through personally, but on a level we can relate to each other and we know what it's like to kind of go through your whole adult life without having one of your parents there, which most people don't really Most people don't go through that.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and oh, yeah, you are 100% my person because – so I this actually connects really perfectly. I was going to say that I think what's hard is we still have to be willing to make that step and accept that acceptance into our lives and into uh-huh. our hearts because when you are in that state of depression it's really easy to put your blinders on to anyone reaching out to you to any mm-hmm. love people give you and i know for me it's easy to say okay but that's not what the love that i want yeah so what does the love <laughs> i want look like well i don't know <laughs> yeah. you better figure it out but so and that's i mean that's i think the really really hard double-edged sort of it is we do have to take some personal accountability and be able to pull ourselves out of it because we get what we give and it life is so much controlled by our own minds and Mm. it's so counterintuitive but you know we have to be positive to create positivity and uh, when I especially very recently like when I get down and feel like oh nobody understands me I don't have anyone to talk to because it's true like the opposite of addiction is connection Mm -hmm. and like I love my Mm -hmm. AA people I love you know my providers and my friends and my family but nobody can give me that connection like you can because you know what it's like to lose a parent as a teenager to substances to Mm -hmm. the disease of addiction and you know what it's like to grow up here and go to these weird (laughs) hippie schools (laughs) and and then the fact that and I always remember feeling so grateful that as we grew up like our friend group we all still kind of um, continued to share the same taste and continued to still have things that connected us but I mean above and beyond the fact that like we just so randomly got sober at the same time basically yeah. like that is really like solidified it because again like we are peers in so much of this and mm-hmm. even a lot of our friends who have lost parents like it's not this it, I mean even though our situations are different, they're much more similar than mm-hmm. most of our friends who have lost parents because it happened when they were adults or to other,
1: you know, situations. So yeah. it's just not the same. Exactly. Yeah. Ours ours aligns very closely. Um and because yeah, I was fourteen, you were fifteen. I mean there's like it's just so so closely connected. And and like for me it was like I was doing all of these things that only now 20 years later maybe like 18 years later I was finally starting to see like how much pain I was in and Mm. it's really funny like um, just like I don't know it must have been about five years ago I was talking to one of our friends and like all of a sudden it hit me like Sorry, I was like, wow, I um, I really loved my dad, and like, and she was like, well, obviously, like we all knew that you loved your... like we all know that, and I was like, no, I I know that you guys know that, I didn't, like I haven't let myself love my dad in like fifteen years, and like, so in the past like five years, I've been letting that happen, and it's felt really good, um, to just remember, like, oh yeah, I. Like we can – like him and I, like we could connect on like a – you know, you don't always connect with a parent that way, you know. But like – and I just had totally forgotten about that. And so anyway, I don't even really know where that was going. I just think I just had to say it because I want the world to know that. Thank you and don't be (laughs)
2: sorry. And I – so I can't completely understand your experience but I do feel like I understand very much because I think also the part of of being a child of an addict – it, or a, anyone who loves an addict or somebody mm-hmm. struggling is there's a lot of – especially as a child and I think that is what makes our losses. But I mean none of us are like that well-developed neurologically even into our 20s and 30s necessarily, especially <laughs> if we've been abusing drugs and alcohol. But totally. My point being that like – so what I've been realizing is that all my rage – Mm -hmm. Like where – as a child, like where that was coming from and not understanding until recently that it was like I couldn't even articulate to myself Uh like what was wrong with the situation. (laughs) And so all I could do was like lash out violently, also realizing that that was very likely like signs of mental illness and, Mm -hmm. you know, I just could go on and on about that. But um, just – You have to, like, build up a shell as a child of an addict so that they can't hurt you anymore. Uh And it's like you hate them because they can't give you the love that you want. And to realize that that hate is coming from a place of love Uh and sadness and wishing they were there. And that's like – it actually wasn't even my mom that I thought of when you first said that. There have been a lot of people in my life Mm -hmm. where I've realized way, way too late that – I was angry at them because I loved them and I wanted them around and they weren't. <laughs> and I was just telling somebody the other day that for me like my relationship with my mom growing up because she was such a you know violent alcoholic and whatever. Uh, It it wasn't good. Mm -hmm. And I can see – like I thought for years and years like I hated her. And I can see now that it was like I was mad at her because she wasn't giving me attention because she wasn't there because she wasn't consistent. And I was just trying to like get that attention back. But – you know, the problem, the hard thing and, and and the way our society is set up is, you know, we could do everything right and still lose people. People could still mm-hmm. be stuck in their addiction, still not get the help that they need. And so it's been, um, so I think like last year it was 15 years, which means it's like half my life I've lived without her. And so that was like a really big deal to me. Um, and just accepting that I actually like, can love her now and can have a good relationship with her because mm-hmm. I couldn't have that then. And so it's, like, very bittersweet. But it's, like, I very much felt that for a long time. like, And that's why I think I say, like, my recovery started at 23 because I spent eight years hating my mom. Uh-huh. And literally somebody sat me down and said, you don't hate your
1: mom. You love her. And that's okay. And yeah. it just, like, changed my life. Yeah. Yeah. And well in your like only I mean it's sorry, whoo, tripping over my words because there's so many emotions and things running through my head right now, but I want really want to say that even as in recovery and I can see how much like addiction is a disease like something that you you cannot control it like I always and like throughout my addiction and throughout my recovery I have really tried to to control it you know I was sober for almost a year and then I was like all right now I can do this again I'm gonna do this again and drank for another two years before I have been sober for or sober from alcohol for this past three years almost four in December (laughs) Um, but that I know it's a disease and I know that he, I know that he couldn't control himself, but like, still on an emotional level, I feel abandoned, and I feel that he chose alcohol over me. Even though logically I know that's not true, I know that he couldn't control it, and I know that if he want, if he could be here, he would. Um, if he could have controlled it, he would have. Um, but it's that that's the pain that, like, is a continuous when you are a child of an addict who has died, that you just have to keep reminding yourself every day pretty much that he would be here if he could and he could not control what was happening inside of him or her. You, yeah. You know, and that's where, like, the forgiveness kind of has to constantly – keep coming up and you have to constantly remember how much pain they were in.
2: Exactly and our loved ones and especially our parents you know they only all of us you know we're just using the tools that we have. We're, We're doing everything we can and we don't all have the best tools and I think we're all working hard to, like, break these cycles of, yeah. you know, bad communication and violence and uh, addiction and all these things because it's we, we've all become kind of victims of this in our society. But we shouldn't have victim mentality. We, we have tools and we have mm-hmm. each other and we can overcome this. And I guess the point is that, like, those feelings of abandonment are valid and you're not alone, and there are other people out there, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's what you and I have in our friendship, but it's also, like, I still need a therapist. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) And, uh, like, uh, you know, another pool of people, but I just, I feel like It takes a a community. It takes all of us. You know, I say this with Narcan training, like, we can't count on somebody to show up and save us. We have to be prepared to save each other. And Mm -hmm. that's the same with, you know, responding to an overdose is responding to somebody who's suicidal or somebody who's struggling or somebody who's trying to find their version of recovery. Like, we just need to support each other however we
1: can safely for ourselves and, Mm -hmm. you know, effectively in our community yeah and i think you know i mean you just always have to be patient with people but you also have to be patient with yourself mm-hmm. and be there for yourself and do what's right for you um and we did end up just spending that whole almost the whole show talking about all this which i don't know if either of us meant for that but it We're felt really recovery. good yeah, yeah it felt really good to get a lot of that out and to hear from you and um just on the note of suicide awareness that uh, the suicide hotline has changed. It is now 988. So um, nice and easy for everybody to be able to um, get the help and support that you need. And um, you can press 1 after 988 if you are a veteran and need some specific veteran help. I only know all this from all the times I listen to Katie and Kay and hear all the PSAs. Um, But, I mean, other than the 988, I did know that that had changed. But I just want to throw that out there since it is Suicide Awareness Month. And I know you and I have both lost people that, to that. And uh, man, it is it is rough out there. So just treat everyone with love. If you yeah, can.
2: I've been trying to walk around acting like everyone's dad just died, for the record, <laughs> like in the grocery store, because we don't ever know what somebody's going through a day and little mm-hmm. things can make a big impact in how we treat each other in the grocery store. I know everyone's like very stressed and very freaked out, but like, let's meet that with love and not fear. It's the same mm-hmm. thing I've been saying since March 2020. And I just wanted to remind everybody that throughout September, Hierarchy's Harm Reduction will continue to be having our regular service sites as mm-hmm. well as some. Different educational events across the state. So be sure to check out our calendar at High Rockies Harm And as always, you can reach out to me, Maggie, aka Mugsy Fay, with <laughs> questions, comments, concerns, or if you'd like to share a story on Chemical World, reach out to me at Maggie at High Rockies Harm And I'd love to hear from you.
1: Yeah. And we, you know, we love talking. We could talk mm-hmm. about this stuff forever. But, um, We also, this is a a conversation that we like to have with everybody. So if there is a story that you want to share that you feel like, man, i really connected to these girls, women, we are women. (laughs) We'd Um, love to hear your stories about recovery, chemicals, whatever you'd like to share. So reach out to Maggie and let her know if you want to be on our show or if you just want to chat with us. And you can follow Rockies Harm Reduction and Katie and Kay at Instagram and Facebook. You can... Tune in to Chemical World every second Monday of the month on KDNK or at kdnk.org. Our next episode will be October 10th, and if you'd like to listen to past episodes, you can go to kdnk.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, you don't have to be sober to keep your community clean. Be safe out there, everyone.
0: A chemical nondescript person. We are living in a chemical world, and I am a chemical girl. We are living in a chemical world, and I am a chemical girl or boy. We are living in a chemical world, and I am a chemical.